Breadbox Media Programming is brought to you by Introducing the redesigned CatholicSingles.com Featuring new ways that put the spotlight on the person and their faith Not just a profile picture For the past 20 years, faithful Catholics have used CatholicSingles.com And the reimagined CatholicSingles.com website Is ready to help single Catholics take the next step In sharing meaningful relationships with other faithful Catholics Remember, CatholicSingles.com For faith, fellowship, and love CMF Curo is the country's first Catholic health share ministry to provide an affordable health sharing program rooted in Catholic teaching and community. Learn more at mycatholichealthshare.com. CMF Curo. Healthcare fully alive. Welcome to the Inscape podcast. The mission of Inscape in our podcast is to help people discover, embrace, and live to the full their unique personal vocations. In this episode, I talk with Russell Shaw, one of the first Catholic authors to highlight the importance of personal vocation for authentic renewal of the Church. I'm Dr. Joshua Miller. Russell Shaw was Secretary for Public Affairs of the National Conference of Catholic Bishops in the United States Catholic Conference from 1969 to 1987. He is the author of 20 books, including two that we will talk about today. The first, To Hunt, To Shoot, To Entertain, Clericalism and the Catholic Laity, as well as a book he co-authored with Germain Griset, Personal Vocation, God Calls Everyone by Name. So, Russ, uh, first I just want to thank you for taking the time to do this InScapes podcast today. Good morning. Good morning, Josh. You have written a great deal about uh, a lot of topics related to Catholic life, Catholic culture, but personal vocation has been definitely uh, a clear theme in your writing. What drew you to addressing that particular topic of personal vocation? I think I, I first got wind of the idea, if you can put it that way, Thanks to my friend Germaine Griset. You know, Germaine was a great Catholicist and moral theologian. He, he died earlier this year, God rest his soul. And one of the real blessings of my life has been my long friendship with Germaine, whom I got to know quite well over the years. Anyway, I think I first encountered the idea of personal vocation in Germaine's writing and in conversations we had. And, uh, it was a central concept of central importance to, to Griset in his work. And as I caught on to it, I began to uh, see just how important that, that idea of, of Christian vocation really is, not only for professional purposes, but to someone who's simply trying to lead a good Christian life according to uh, God's plan for him or her. So the notion of personal vocation uh, has become an important matter for me in my professional life, in my writing, but I assure you it's also become a, a very important concept, a very important insight, helping me to try to organize and, and get a little sense into into my own life as a Christian. Mm-hmm. Would you touch on that for a minute? When you think about your own personal vocation, as you just noted your, your writing, would you share about the importance of personal vocation in your own life? Well, I've had, I would say, uh, you know, for a Catholic layperson, a rather unusual career. At the heart of my professional work, I spent 18 years 
working for the Catholic Bishops' Conference. I was in charge of the public information program of the bishops. And uh, behind the scenes, I did a lot of ghostwriting as well for the bishops. And uh, I, I remember the people who didn't know me would sometimes call my office and get me on the phone. And I remember on one occasion I was addressed as Archbishop. <laughs> <laughs> a little vocational crisis in some way. Right? Yeah, and as I say, it illustrates to me the fact that uh, for a layman to be doing the kind of work that I was doing for the Bishop's Conference role was in many people's minds that naturally meant I must be a cleric of some sort probably a high-ranking cleric, even an archbishop. <laughs> and, and so I would say that, I repeat, from a certain perspective, I had an unusual working life. And I began to try to make some sense of that. Why am I here? Why am I doing this? How come me? You know, and the best answer I, I came up with eventually, and, and it gave me a lot of consolation, really, a lot of peace of mind, was that I was where I was doing what I was doing because that's what God wanted for me. It was my personal vocation. Since then, I've, I've had many reasons to hark back to that idea, that insight of personal vocation, and apply it to a lot of different circumstances in, in my life, including, I must say, even right here and now, the difficult situation in my own family where my wife is, well, she's kind of a permanent invalid now, and you can say that's a very sad and unfortunate situation. And so it is, but I also understand it as, as God's will for me as well as for her right here and now. Mm-hmm. A wise old priest said to me when my, some, some couple of years ago about this whole situation in my life now, well, you have to understand that this is just the turn that your vocation has taken now. And I've thought of that often and found much peace of mind in that it's God's will for me. That's my personal vocation right now. So the dynamic nature of personal vocation is something that changes from season to season, and God calls it from season to season. It certainly does. It's not, not a static thing. That's part of the conventional way of thinking about vocation is, is the assumption that it's pretty much a, a once and only once event in your life. You get a, a calling, or maybe you don't get and that's it. You've received your vocation, and that's the end of it. But I've come to think, and uh, others who've thought and, and written about uh, personal vocation have made the point, too, that uh, personal vocation is not, it's not a static thing. The complexities and the various dimensions and aspects of our personal vocations unfold themselves over time throughout our lives, mm-hmm. and the, uh, the task of discerning and responding to God's call is one that we, we constantly face in our lives. Uh, Cardinal Newman, by the way, made that point in a, an admirable sermon, one of his Anglican sermons, as a matter of fact. The idea is that vocation is not a once and for all time affair, but rather you, your personal vocation takes shape for you in the events and circumstances of your own life mm-hmm. as your own life goes on. So you've alluded to vocation having various meanings. Sometimes people think of it rather statically. But there's also this idea of vocation to holiness, the universal call to holiness, state in life vocation that you've alluded to. Oftentimes people will think of it in terms of skilled trades or professional life. So would you define succinctly what personal vocation is and then its relationship to these various different nuances of vocation? 
When I try to give an explanation and a definition of personal vocation, I do it this way. The customary way in which we Catholics have been conditioned to understand vocation is a state in life. It's a calling to a particular state of being a Catholic Christian. As a matter of fact, vocation for many Catholics, we've, again, we've been conditioned to believe a vocation in its fullest sense is a calling to the priesthood or religious life, to the clerical state or the consecrated life. So that's how we, a lot of us were brought up to think of vocation, and that's what we were taught. And for many people, that's how they continue to think of vocation. It's a calling to the priesthood or religious life, to a certain state in life. And only by way of grudging a concession, perhaps, uh, it's conceded that well, maybe marriage has, has something mm-hmm. about it and and so forth and so on. Prior to state and life, though, there's yet a second dimension, if you will, of vocation. It, it's antecedent to uh, state and life, and it's the uh, universal Christian vocation, the vocation that all Christians receive in and through the sacrament of baptism, and, and it's uh, reaffirmed and strengthened and enriched in the sacrament of confirmation. And this is a calling to uh, love God and serve God and love and serve one's neighbor. That, if you will, is our universal call to holiness right there. And that's a calling which is a part of this universal Christian vocation that we receive in baptism. But I posit, and Griset posits, and, and others who caught hold of the importance of this concept of personal vocation, I posit a third dimension, a third meaning, a third reality of vocation, and it is personal vocation. And uh, it's the specific role each one of us is called upon to play in God's redemptive plan in the various circumstances of his or her life, in our work, in our relationships with other people, in all, all the circumstances of our life. All of these things come together to make up God's will for us here and now in carrying out his plan for us. Each of us, you know, occupies a a unique place in God's mind, if you will. As I I guess it was, you know, Pope John Paul and others have put it, God calls everyone by name. Each Each of us is called by name. That's a personal vocation. It's a calling to live our life as it comes to us from God and live it out to the best of our ability as believing, faithful Christians trying to do God's will in the circumstances and, and surroundings that uh, in which we live. Mm-hmm. So you have referenced a couple of times how important this concept of vocation is, but could you highlight it a bit more? Why is it so important? Well, to begin with, I, I have to say that although I think the concept of vocation is extremely important, for years and years and generations and generations, many good Christians have lived out their personal vocations in an exemplary fashion, and indeed achieved sanctity, sainthood, whether recognized or not, without ever having heard of anything called personal vocation. They just didn't have the concept, and they didn't have the terminology, but they lived it out just the same. And I take my hat off to those people. Mm -hmm. What's ultimately important is that one do live out one's personal vocation, not that one knows exactly what to call it or where to put it in some systematic lining up of various senses of vocation. 
However, I think it's it's important to have a concept, a clear idea, an understanding of personal vocation, because otherwise we're likely not to think of it very much, and not thinking of it, we're likely not to take it seriously into account when trying to make decisions in our lives, trying to you know shape our lives uh, specifically here and now according to God's plan. Mm-hmm. It's very easy to act, and for me certainly, to act on impulse and without paying much attention to anything except you know the particular exigencies of the moment. And that's all very well, but I think it's much better, even in the little things of everyday life, to take a quick step back and say, what does God want of me right here and now? Mm-hmm. And that's best done, I think, if you have a clear understanding and an ongoing attempt to understand and live out this concept, this idea, not just as a, an abstraction, but as a reality in one's life here and now. Mm-hmm. You as well as Germain Grisey point out in your book, Personal Vocation, God Calls Everyone by Name, and also in your book that I'd like to talk about a little bit later on clericalism and the Catholic laity, you point out that personal vocation was clearly taught in the Second Vatican Council, and it was a major part of St. John Paul II's pastoral work, his vision for the Church. It certainly was emphasized by Pope Benedict and is today by Pope Francis, so if this has been such a critical part of the teaching of the church for 50-plus years, why is it so much on the sidelines of Catholic life? Well, it's because we're going through a long, through slow transitional period, I think, in, in which the concept and the reality of personal vocation is getting, being integrated into the mainstream of Catholic thinking and Catholic living. Yes, all of those good things that you mentioned have taken place, and I praise God for them. But uh, we're still living with, what shall I say, the residue of the old thinking about uh, vocation as being a state in life and being mainly, if not exclusively, a calling to the priesthood of religious life. We're still living with that. And I think you can see it just in the way we speak. Uh, You know, we have in a diocese, typically, you'll have a director of vocations or vocations office. And when push comes to shove, the vocations director and vocations office are responsible for recruiting new candidates for the priesthood and religious life, period. We have vocation programs here and there, many places, in fact, and I'm glad that we do, but... Most, if you look closely at those vocation programs, they turn out again to be programs for the recruitment of new candidates for priesthood and, mm-hmm. and religious life. So, you know, this is the traditional, old fashioned, and I think now somewhat outmoded way of thinking of vocation, mm-hmm. but we're still living with it in a lot of situations in the everyday life of the church, and we'll can probably continue to live with it for some time to come. Mm-hmm. Having Causing a big but new, in a certain sense, concept like personal vocation to enter into the the mainstream of Catholic life universally, it's not going to happen overnight. It's a long, slow process. I think it is happening. Delighted to see that it's happening. But it it certainly hasn't replaced the old way of thinking by any any means, and it won't do that for probably quite some time to come. Mm -hmm. You you argue that there's really no vocations crisis in the way that that term is normally used. People talk about the vocations crisis, meaning that there's fewer priests and religious than there were before. You speak about this really being a problem of people not responding to the call that they've been given to the priesthood and religious life. Everybody is called, so there's no crisis of callings. 
you go on to argue that if as a church, you know, in our parishes, in our schools, and in our colleges, if we were to focus upon cultivating everyone's personal vocations, that there would naturally be more responses to the priesthood and religious life, as well as you know, holy marriages, etc. Would you talk a bit more about that, that aspect of your, your writing and thinking? I really do believe that uh, we do not have a shortage of vocations in the church. As I've often said, what we have instead is a shortage of vocational discernment. And there the key word is discernment. Well, the old-fashioned, the old way of thinking about vocation, there's no formal effort being made in many places in the church, even today, to cause, encourage everyone to go to the work, the hard work of trying to discern his or her personal vocation. Mm-hmm. I contend that if discernment were a universal or almost, almost universal practice among uh, Catholics, discernment of vocation, as more people discerned, more would find that they have callings to the priesthood, the consecrated life, and to you know other forms of Christian service, mm-hmm. and you know, within the framework of their own personal vocations. Mm-hmm. So you know I'm hopeful that as this idea of personal vocation spreads, so will the idea of discernment. You know I once was talking about this in the talk I gave to a group. I'm not even sure when exactly or where. But I was talking about personal vocation and discernment to this group, and I spoke of the importance of encouraging everyone to practice discernment with regard to his or her vocation. And I said it would be a wonderful thing if at least in every Catholic school this idea were taken up and steps were taken to help the students specifically to practice vocational discernment. Oh, said a teacher who was present there, we, do, we were already doing that in our school. And I was certainly pleased to hear that, and I hope there are many schools where that's already being done. I suspect there are. I also suspect that there may be schools which aren't doing that, and I hope that they soon will be, because it's so important. You know, God isn't going to give most of us an understanding of our callings, our vocations, sending an angel to announce the good news to us. (laughs) You know, that was the way he dealt with Mary, but that was kind of an unusual case. Mm -hmm. We have to go to the the work, and it is work of discernment in order to find God's will out for us. Mm -hmm. God wants us to know what he wants of us, and he's, you know, not keeping it a secret, but he expects us to make a mature, serious effort to find out, discern his will, and that's, that's what discernment is all about, finding out what God wants of us. That's the big question we're trying to answer Mm -hmm. in vocational discernment. Not what do I want to do, but what does God want me to do? Mm -hmm. So you noted that at least this particular school or organization where you were at had been cultivating discernment. So you and I are speaking on September 27th in 2018. And for the last several months, the church has been really embroiled in a significant crisis uh, related to clerical abuse. And Pope Francis himself has spoken about clericalism as a big problem that's a causal factor for, for this crisis. But you, for years, for over 25 years, have been talking about the problem of clericalism and then also stressing that personal vocation, stressing that is is a way out of it, a kind of antidote to it. So would you share a bit about 
first of all, what you mean by clericalism and why it's such a heavy burden on the church. Well, another way of another name for clericalism would be clerical elitism. It's the sense that clerics, mainly priests, of course, compose a special elite group within the church with special privileges and exemptions which just don't apply to to the rest of us. And the priests are the active leadership element within the church, and we laity are uh, just a kind of passive lump meant to be given our marching orders, if at all, by our clerical leaders. Now, saying that, I have to back up a little bit and say, yes, the Catholic Church is a hierarchical institution, and there's a hierarchy of leadership within the church, and there are different roles and different functions, and the clerics have their responsibilities, and the laity have theirs. But the essence of clericalism is, in fact, it's this false, old-fashioned understanding of vocation. A vocation is a calling to the priesthood and the religious life. And that's the only real vocation. That's the vocation that counts the calling to clerical state or the uh, state of consecrated life. Well, you know, once you make that your an operative principle, that state and life vocation is the only real vocation, it's the only vocation that really counts then you've uh, founded uh, relationships within the church on a very, very false footing. And uh, the result is, is the encouragement of clerical elitism on the one hand and the passivity and, uh, and alienation in many cases of, of the laity on the other hand. And that's what we're suffering with now, I think, in the church as, as uh, the bad fruits of, uh, of clericalism become all too apparent in the scandals which are such a painful part of our experience mm-hmm. as a church today. Would you speak more about the alienation of the laity? What do you mean by that? As I see it, reacting to clericalism, uh, lay people can typically go in either of two directions. One is towards this kind of passivity, uh, an almost childish dependency. What does Father say? What does Father want? What is Father telling us to do? Uh, there's no sense of personal responsibility, no sense of initiative on the part of lay people. But the other way that other lay people, unfortunately, go is into a condition of alienation from the church and from the clerical leadership of the church. And that manifests itself in dissent, in hostility, in dropping out, all of these negative features that are you know, such an unpleasant part of our experience as Catholics these days. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's the alienation side of the lay reaction to clericalism. On the one hand, passivity and dependence, almost childish uh, relationship to clerics. And on the other hand, alienation, hostility, dropping out, criticizing. Mm -hmm. And neither is an ideal, to say the least. Mm -hmm. Both both are uh, pathological reactions to the clericalized church. In your book on clericalism, To Hunt, To Shoot, To Entertain, Clericalism in the Catholic Laity, this is the end of your chapter, From Power to Vocation, you say this, See, the elements for making an end of clericalism now exist. They are a new theology of vocation that emphasizes unique individual vocation, a new vision of Christian life that stresses the continuity in human goods between life in this world and life in heaven, and then a new ecclesiology of the church as communio. So would you share a bit about those dimensions of Catholic teaching that should be able to make an end to clericalism? For one 
thing I'd like to see many, many more theologians and writers on religious subjects taking up these issues and, and trying to deal with them themselves. I'd like to see a thoroughgoing uh, theology of a personal vocation. Yes, I've written about it. I wrote about it several places. And there's that book that my good friend Jermaine Grise and I wrote, Pope John Paul, St. John Paul II, God rest his soul. He was a great exponent of personal vocation and spoke about it many, many times. But I still am waiting to see the theological community as a theological community take mm. up the subject of okay. personal vocation and develop it at much greater length than I certainly have been able to do as I'm not a theologian and there's no point in my pretending to be one. I'd like to see, too, all of these subjects discussed much more openly and often in homilies and religious education and uh, just in the everyday life of the church. You know, we're not talking here when we talk about personal vocation and personal responsibility. We're not talking about esoteric things far removed from everyday life. We're talking about where people live their lives and how they should be living their lives. So I think this is, you know, a very appropriate subject for homilies, not once in a blue moon, but uh, with some frequency. Uh, in which, you know, the, the idea is laid out and unfolded to, to Catholic white people in terms they can understand and approach and appreciate mm-hmm. and begin to apply in their own lives. These are the things that I would like to see. And I do see some of this starting to happen, and I'm much encouraged by it. And I just would like to see a lot more. Right. So when I first started to read about the upcoming Synod, a Young People to Faith and Discernment of Vocation, was encouraged by that. I've been very much encouraged by much of Pope Francis's comments in the preliminary documents, the working document that was released a couple of months ago. At the same time, the synod will take place in a very difficult circumstance for the bishops. To what extent, Russ, are you optimistic about the synod and the impact the synod could have on cultivating that deeper embrace of personal vocation in the church? Well, I certainly don't want to be one who has written off the Synod, and I know some people whom I respect have already done that. They said that nothing good will come out of this Synod, and I hope they're wrong. On the other hand, I'm not I'm not persuaded. I guess my attitude is a kind of wait-and-see attitude. I don't know what will come of the Synod. I hope it will be something good. The subject is immensely important. My fear would be that the Synod gets bogged down in a lot of pop sociology and pop psychology, if you will. Mm-hmm. And I'd much prefer to see the Synod moving in the directions we've been talking about, that is trying to encourage the acceptance and, and the, the integration of a notion of personal vocation into the everyday life of the church so that more and more people would catch on to it. Mm-hmm. And particularly that young people would encounter the idea and the reality of personal vocation early enough in their lives to make make a habit of vocational discernment, not mm-hmm. once once and for all time, but ongoing vocational discernment as they mature and their lives change. The Synod could do a, lo- a great good if it gave encouragement to that development, or it could be a great disappointment if it uh, just turns to be a lot of sound and fury signifying nothing. Mm-hmm. Let's pray for it. Yeah, yeah, we ought to pray for it, for sure. Final question, what are some of the key, key things 
that those of us interested in cultivating personal vocation in, in the fabric of Catholic life, what are some key things that we can do to help make that happen in our parishes and schools and colleges? Well, I talk to the program people in institutional settings, parishes and schools, and uh, give them a copy of your book, Josh, or the book that Jermaine and I did, or some other literature, and ask them to read it and see whether what could be done to start incorporating these ideas into uh, the program of the school or or parish. In a parish, of course, that means have it sit down, have a conversation sometimes with the pastor. Who knows, maybe he'd be very receptive to a few good programs, leadership-type programs for parish leaders to introduce them to the idea of personal vocation. And hopefully it would spread more and more throughout the parish. Mm -hmm. So that's where I would begin. Go to the program people, go to the whoever is responsible for deciding what actually happens in that particular school or that particular parish, and talk with him or her about personal vocation and how personal vocation can be integrated into the program of that parish or or school. Any final comments about this topic for our listeners? I would just encourage great optimism. It's all too easy, I think, and I, I know it's easy in my own case, to want to see instant results. And I don't think as far as personal vocation is concerned and the understanding of personal vocation, its integration into the mainstream and the life of the church, I don't think instantaneous results are, are likely. But it's growing, it's spreading, it's happening, and patience and prayer and continued effort will, I think, pay off enormous, enormous dividends in the long run. Mm-hmm. That's a good word. Thanks very much, Russell Shaw, for the time and for all of your great work cultivating personal vocation over the last couple of decades. Well, thank you, Josh. To learn more about Inscape, the book written by myself and Luke Burgess entitled Unrepeatable, Cultivating the Unique Calling of Every Person, and the accompanying workbook, Unrepeatable Life, an eight-week program for discerning personal vocation, as well as many other resources to support the cultivation of personal vocation, please go to InscapeVocations.com. Breadbox Media Programming is brought to you by Jack Kane Ford. Find your next Ford Tough vehicle at KaneFord.com. Woodhill Community Center. Have a hand in the heart of the city. Support their mission with your donations at WoodhillCommunityCenter.org. Toyota in Nicholasville Superstore. Online consultants are standing by right now to help you find your next Toyota. Visit ToyotaOnNicholasville.com. Lexus of Lexington, home of the best-selling Lexus IS. Find yours today at LexusofLexington.com.